Well, good morning. I uh, hope you guys are all doing well. You survived the cold out there this morning because we're about to heat it up. We're talking today um, in this designer sexuality series um, about, sexual, about sexuality and about intimacy and some really good things. And I, I've heard that with all that parental guidance conversation or warnings that we gave you earlier, someone said it ought to be pretty juicy this morning. They, they have a high bar <laughs> up there. So, so let me start the conversation this way this morning. Um, I want you to picture that nice new car that you've always wanted. Like, I don't know if it's like the Ferrari convertible or if it's some other car, but that really, I don't know, does Ferrari even have a convertible? You can tell I don't really, like, I don't know, I can't afford any of this stuff anymore, so I've stopped looking at it. So whatever that is, that really super nice car, and you get it and you drive it off the lot. Now you're driving down the road in this super nice car you've wanted for long, I mean, it is it's perfect, and, and you, you hit a mud puddle, and you know there's a little bit of stuff on the side, and you think, I ought to wash this car. And then you see those teenagers alongside the road with the free car wash. You know the free car wash. And so you, you think, maybe I should stop and get them to wash my brand new, no scratches on my car paint job. Anybody going to do that? Anybody? Okay, that's what I thought. So, so, you know, like, no way, that's not happening, not yet, not until this thing's got some dings in the side and that kind of thing. No insults to those of you who are teenagers. We just all know the sponges have hit the ground, and they have little stones embedded in them now, and there's these scratches. Wax on, wax off. So, um, or, okay, how about this one? So those of you who can't relate to the whole car thing, um, how about this one? Let's say you have a really nice set of, head of hair, like, like this, and, I mean, and you go, like, you don't just go anywhere to get this taken care of, right? So you, you're driving down the road, you're like, oh, I to get a haircut. So you just go anywhere to get somebody to cut your hair. How many, how many of you just go anywhere to get your haircut? Yeah, yeah. Th- those of you who have hair, like, you know, you don't care. I know. I, all of you are guys. I get it. And your wives are like, stop doing that. So, so you, you develop a relationship. All the, all the people I know with really nice hair develop a relationship with their barber or their hairstylist, because once you get that cut, like you're like, oh, I got to live with that afterwards. Right? So you don't just do that. But yet, in our culture, in our culture today, there is this prevalent myth, and this, and it is in every movie that you see and every TV show, and it basically says, go ahead and do that with your sexuality. Just go anywhere. Just do it with anyone. It doesn't matter. There's no real effects of it. It's just casual. It doesn't matter. And most of you said, I wouldn't do that with my car. I wouldn't do that with my hair. And your culture is telling you otherwise. Do it with your sexuality. And you all know that when it comes to your sexuality, it is much more fragile and important than any car that you could drive or any haircut you'll ever get. It is much more about your identity, and it's much more about who you are. And even though culture might say it's just about physical pleasure that you can do with anyone without repercussions, you know down deep that that's not true because it's deeply connected to who you are. Now, I don't know what stories you come with this morning. You might come with probably a myriad of different stories when it comes to your sexuality, when it comes to this topic of sex. In your past, there could be all kinds of things. But what I do know this morning is that God wants to write a new and better story in every one of our lives. And that all of us have been educated and misinformed in this topic. And this morning is about going back to God's design and really understanding what God wants to say to us about this and how important it is. Now, 
while I'm doing that, let's not pretend that the conversation might not get a little awkward or you might have a middle schooler moment where you giggle a little bit because I said something that in the context of this conversation turns out to be a little funny. It's okay. You don't have to feel bad about laughing. We've already done it in the green room this morning several times within our conversation. We're just going to have a good time today, but we're going to learn about what God says about this particular subject at the same time, all right? So um, this morning, let's start. If you want to follow along this morning, you can pull out your outline. It's in the little thing. looks like this. It's the scoop on the front. If you open it up, there's actually an outline inside that you can follow along this morning and fill in the blanks. Let's talk about this myth that's in our culture today. It's that sex is just casual. It's not, it's not important. It's just casual. And that sex is never just casual. According to God's design, it's first, it's about oneness. Our sex is about oneness. Now, how many of you, when you got the sex talk, okay, how many of you had that, like, your parents gave you the sex talk? Anybody in the room? Yeah? Okay. And you were like, how many of you were like, awkward, right? And how many of you got it at school? Like, it was at school you got it? Okay, how about school bus? Anybody school bus? That's where I got mine, on the school bus, from a very knowledgeable fifth grader, as it turns out. He was an expert in all of this stuff. So, uh, but when we get this talk, part of the thing that makes it awkward is because what's it focused on? The physical nature of sex, right? I mean, that's why with your parents, you're like, la, la. Like, right, if you're with your parents this morning, you're already going, la, 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 la. I do not want to picture this. I don't want to imagine it in any shape or form because it's all about the physical nature of it. But sex is about much more than that. And first, the, the whole design of sex that God designed us for is about that. And so that's why I want to give you the sex talk your parents never gave you. You didn't get it at school. You didn't get it anywhere else because it wasn't well understood about what is the nature of God's design. So our culture today says sex is more about individual exploration and your own satisfaction, that you can pretty much do it and it doesn't affect anybody else. You just do it and walk away. And so in this, in this thing about oneness, I want to show you why that's not true, why the very design of sex says that's not true. Now, most of us know deep down that it's not true already. Most of you know that sex is much more fragile and important than that because if you've ever heard someone talk about their sexuality being violated in some way, you know how serious that is. You know how much pain that that causes. And in, because of that, you know that that can't be true. I mean, you've already, just in your observation, busted that myth. But I want to show you from Scripture and God's design what God says about it. And so I want you to understand how fragile and important, and that it's not just about you, it's about more than just you. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2. We started this conversation last week when Pastor Matt, the student pastor, was here, and he talked a little about the framework of design for sexuality. And we're going back to Genesis again to look at the design. In Genesis chapter 2, this is what God says. This is the very creation of mankind, and he's saying, this is how I'm designing things and putting it together. The Lord God said... It is not good for man to be alone. Okay, so God, according to the Genesis account, if you're not real familiar with it, Genesis 1 and 2 has these accounts of God's creation. And after he creates them, so he creates the world, right? Everything's void and dark, and the God's spirit comes over the world, and he creates the world. He makes dry land. He says, what? It is good. And then he creates the birds and the air, and he creates the animals, and he creates the fishies in the sea, and he says, what? It is good. And he creates the lights in the sky. And he says, it is good. 
And he creates man. And it's the one thing in all creation where after he creates man, and man names all the animals, and it turns out there's no one for man to have a companion with, to have this intimate relationship with, for him to discover what it means to be full and connected. And he says, this is not good. This is the one thing in creation that's not good. And so what will he do? He says, I will make a helper, a strong helper, someone to come along. And this word helper is actually the same term that God refers to himself in his relationship to us, our helper, to come alongside of us so that he's not alone. Now, the very word sex that we use today to refer to this actually comes from the Latin root words sakar. And sakar actually means to be cut off. In other words, to be male or to be female is part of this word, and it's coming together. It's, it, it, it refers us back to this fundamental thing that we're cut off from the whole and that God created us to be one. But there's a oneness that's important. This And the idea points back to this idea that's all through Scripture of a yearning to reconnect. And see, that's the designer story, that we are to have a yearning to reconnect. It's why in Genesis 2 it goes on to say, that's why a man leaves his father and mother. I mean, why would someone leave their father and mother? They got a couch to sleep on. There's free gas for the car. You don't really have to work. It's, I mean, this is the perfect world, isn't it? Like, to sleep on your mom and dad's couch and live there all your life. Isn't that fantastic? Like, free load and central, man. It's all good. Why would a man or woman leave that? And there's also the relationship side. Like, there's all these good things. Why would they leave that? To be united to his wife so that they might become one flesh. It goes on to say that Adam and his wife were both created in the garden, made for each other, and they felt no shame. The context of this verse is that the whole purpose of sex, the whole purpose of our sexuality is to bring us together in oneness. The very anatomy with which God created us points us to this idea of oneness. Our very anatomy was made for us to be attractive to each other and to become one with each other. And, and this picture of it, in fact, the, the Hebrew Scripture, and Matt talked about this a little bit last week, the Hebrew Scripture, when it talks about when a man and a woman in the Old Testament would have sexual intercourse, they, the Hebrew words are they would become, they knew each other, right? That there was a knowing, and that Hebrew word is yada. And that word yada would actually often refer to this knowing of each other in that very intimate way. But you know what else you ought to refer to? Our relationship with God. The very same word refers to the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. In other words, this whole idea of sex is about a picture of the kind of unity that Christ wants to have with you. Now, I know some of you are sitting there now going, eh, um, what do I do with that? Right? Like that's, that's an odd, but the reality is that that very picture of what can happen in oneness is the kind of oneness that God yearns to have with you. And we'll talk more about that in and, and just a little bit as we talk about vulnerability. We talk about these other things that sex was created for to help us have. But the point is that sex was designed within the framework of marriage to, as a way of saying, I'm going to lose, totally lose my independence. I'm going to wholly donate myself to you. That's the framework of our sexuality. And, and in sex, that happens in a very real way, doesn't it? In the bedroom, that happens in a very real way to say, I'm, I'm yours. I'm donating myself to you. Now, here's the other thing. So sex, it is an emotional 
commitment apparatus. It was designed this way. The very physiology, I don't know if you know this, the very physiology of sex is created this way. So I'm not just saying like, oh, the Bible says this. I love when the Bible says stuff. And then in our science, we go, oh, look at that. That's really true. And so in the very physiology of sex is a hormone that gets created. And guess what it does? It automatically helps us entrust ourselves to another person. That's what that hormone does. It gives us emotional connection. And so even if you were to walk into sex as if it was casual and it didn't mean anything, you can't because the very act of it in your physiology makes it impossible. Now, the problem is our culture that this happens all the time. So I need a volunteer this morning. Who would like to? Aaron Kelly, would you be a volunteer for me this morning? You had a big smile on your face. You look like you wouldn't say no to me on this one. You, you stay down there because you get to go out in the audience and you get to pick volunteers too this morning. Isn't that fantastic? Okay. Everybody know what this is, right? Duct tape. That's right. It, it fixes, I'm from Perry County, so this fixes just about anything. If you have this and tarp straps, anything can be fixed. Okay. So now here's what I'd like you to do. Don't, yeah, don't, don't, don't make the sticky part not sticky. You know, that's, that's bad. Okay. So... Um, go out and pick anybody, and go ahead and just slap that on their arm. Go ahead, just slap it on their arm, whoever you like. It's going to be fantastic. They're alone. Pick somebody with hair in their arms, because they'll really love that. That is fantastic. Oh, look at, look at him being nice to you, Jack. Wasn't that great? All right, go ahead. Stick it on there nice and like, oh, come on. You got to do it like real. You got to be serious about it. Okay, now, so sex is about an emotional commitment apparatus, just like duct tape. There's a bonding effect, right? And so, well, now you guys are feeling awkward, aren't you? All right, so, Aaron, go ahead and just pull that off. <laughs> Melody can't even stand it. She's like, oh, the pain. Oh, Jack, you all right? Gonna, okay, good, fantastic. All right, so, Aaron, go pick somebody else. Try not to make it too awkward now that you know where this illustration's going. It's fantastic. Don't everybody know that nobody has to feel too awkward? Fantastic. All right. All right. So put that on there nice and tight. All right. Rip it off. All right. Pick somebody else. Oh, there you go, Lou. Come on. Be a part of that little thing there. All right. Okay. Rip it off. Okay. Now, for those of you who have participated in this little experiment right now, What's happening to the duct tape? So if you're first, pretty sticky, right? I mean, it, it, you feel it when it comes off. Lou, by the time it gets to you, not too bad, right? Hardly feel anything at all. Okay, thank you. Aaron, you're done. You did a great job. Let's hear for Aaron. Fantastic. Now, if you're following along, you, you kind of get what's going on here, right? If we treat sex as something casual, the bonding effect that it was very designed for, the, one, the effect of oneness and bonding begins to wear off. And some of you have stories that you understand how this affects you. Like if you keep doing that, you get to marriage where it is supposed to happen and you realize the bonding effect's not as strong because you treated it casually and the stick, stickiness effect has worn off. Now God can redeem that story. But the question you have to ask yourself is, why would I want him to? Like, this is the very design for my sexuality. And God wants it to be a very deep part of us. 
Now, this has, a, this has a, an effect on all of us. In fact, I think for most young people, there's this whole culture in our, in our media that talks about like, well, you know, you, you want to make sure you got this down and you want to experiment with this. And, and so there's this whole thing of making it casual, like outside the permanent union is a good thing because practice makes perfect. You want to be really experienced in this area before you get married. Some people think that like the more sexual partners you have before you're married, the happier you will be later on, more satisfied you'll be. Like as if once you get married, now spoiler alert for those of you who aren't married yet, as if when you get married, there's some kind of competition or award you win in this area. There's not, okay? But, and moreover, when it comes to sex, it is not, it's not a physical activity like playing the guitar, like if I practice it, I'll get really good. In fact, I guarantee that you will figure it out without an ounce of practice at all. When you get married, you will figure it out with an ounce of practice. Now, let me tell you something. As someone that's been married for a long time, so when I had this conversation with my sons when they were like in middle school, we had this conversation. We were talking about all the things that they already know, right? I asked them all the kind of questions. I'm like, listen, trust me, you're not going to surprise me with anything. Like, all, like we went out on the lake in the middle of the lake so they could just be honest about this conversation. And, and as they were talking about it, I said, listen, you have a choice, right? You can listen to people without a lot of experience in this, or you can listen to me. I said, I've been married for 20 years. I've got some experience now, okay? I'm not just inexperienced now. So here's my point. After 25 years of marriage, what I want to tell you is if you're going into marriage, you know what the fun part of being married is? Saving yourself for it so that you can explore it with your spouse, right? It's the exploration journey. It's the getting to know each other, and everybody's different, and it's okay because learning to love each other in this way and the bond and the emotional bond that happens there is important. Now, one of the things that I've discovered in that journey as well, guys and gals, this is, this is a generality, so it might, it might refer to a little bit differently, but in general, this is true. The act of sexual intercourse for men, listen up now, the, for most men, the act of sexual intercourse is an act of unity and oneness. So it's the act of it. And guys, you should listen up because this is important for you to know. It's not physical. It's not casual. It is an act of oneness. And you know that what you really desire there is not something just physical because then you walk away from it and it is empty. You might be driven by it, but you've got to remember that drive is for a yearning to be connected. And so it's the act of it. Okay, so gals, when, when that's all going down for you and you're like, oh, come on, like, you need to understand it's the act of it that is a physiological and emotional act of bonding. Now, for most guys, guys listen up. This is, you should be writing this down now. Okay, so for gals, this is really important. It is an outcome of emotional oneness. Do you understand the difference? So there's a physiological effect for gals too, but what, when wives come into that moment, they need, it's an outcome for them. That's what makes it beautiful, that it's an outcome. So that means, fellas... Husbands, when you're in the kitchen with your wife, right, you are treating them with such excellent and emotional oneness and, and complimenting them and helping do the dishes, right? Do them gladly. Help her out with wherever she is in the house. You know what? When she comes, she has that look on her face like the kids are driving me crazy. It's like shoveling while it's still snowing. The house is a disaster. Let me give you a little hint. What that means is please help me clean up. So if you didn't get that, I'm just giving you a little hint. Next time you'll get credit for that. You don't have to give me credit for it. You take credit for it. But those kind of ways of serving your wife, 
complimenting your wife, connecting with your wife, will make it an outcome for her. And gals, wives, when you enter into that process, just know that for your husband, it is also an act of oneness. It's an act of oneness for them. All right, so sex and our sexuality, it's about oneness, but it's not just about oneness. It's not casual. It's about this deep, uniting, intimate thing. Now, that might be news to you, but I want you to understand something else about it because there's some other ways that the casualness has also affected our Christianity and the way culture has showed it, and that's that sex is not just casual. It's never just casual. It's also sacred. It's sacred. So, in this idea of sacred, now you might, you might think about that and go, whoa, whoa, it's sacred? Sex is sacred? That's news to me. That's new to me. How, do, how does that work? So, I want you to just take a look. We have a video, and it's going to show you a little bit of, give you perspective on how culture and how our world has developed a perspective on sex that was different than God's design for it, and maybe how that went awry, and then we'll talk about it. Watch. Sex. Throughout the Bible, it's proclaimed as a good thing, a profound expression of love that forges a unique and powerful bond between a man and a woman. But along the way, something went seriously wrong. When humanity left their perfect and life-giving relationship with God, sin entered the scene and infected everything. Sin caused people to become disconnected from God, from each other, and from themselves. Sex, the ultimate connection between men and women, couldn't hide for long. Sin grabbed hold of sex and transformed it into something completely unrecognizable. This new form of sex had nothing to do with respect or commitment, and everything to do with lust and control. It was no longer about two people becoming one. Sex became about the desires of the individual, a way for people to get what they want from one another. To put it plainly, sex became a transaction. And so, sex strayed further and further away from God's original plan. Fast forward to today, and sex is everywhere. People are obsessed with it. Sex, which used to be a good thing, became an ultimate thing. Something that validates one's very existence and a reason for living. And with its new and elevated status came many promises. Promises it couldn't deliver, leaving an entire society feeling empty and disillusioned. But like any addiction, the answer is always more. More relationships, more romance, and of course, more sex. And it's in this endless search that we find ourselves. Sex is clearly broken, but it isn't the real problem. It's simply the crack on the surface. The real problem of sin goes much deeper, and its consequences are far more devastating. Here's the good news, though. There's still hope. God can redeem you and your sexuality. Sex can be a good thing again. So as it comes to sex, the problem with sex is the problem with many things that we have that God gives us as gifts. When they get distorted or misused, there are destructive consequences to them. God gives us all kinds of good things, but when they're used for manipulation or they're used to leverage another, like you're in your marriage, they're used to leverage each other for what you want, like it becomes destructive. And even in the church, this idea of sex has always, like the idea of it being sacred has been a misnomer and misunderstood for years. In fact, Martin Luther, the guy who was known as a great theologian in the Protestant circles because he nailed the 99 Thesis to the door of the church when he felt it was corrupt, even he said that sex is never without sin. Can you imagine that? Sex is never without sin. That's a direct quote from Martin Luther. The Bishop of Paris, get this one, this is really good. The Bishop of Paris said that 
when two people do the act, he can't even say the word, when two people do the act, the Holy Spirit leaves the room. Now, most of you are actually, would, in this moment, you're thinking about that whole picture, and you're like, I hope so. Like, uh, well, that feels awkward. Like, three of us in the room, whoa. So, in, in this moment, I want you to understand, though, this is crazy because God created it. In the garden, man and woman were naked and unashamed with God in their presence. He created us. He thinks it's beautiful. He thinks it's sacred. It's crazy and it's lunacy to think it's anything else. And yet we often view it because of our culture as something to be embarrassed about or something not to talk about. Now, because it's sacred, it's important for us to talk about it the right ways and in the right context, which is why marriage is so important. And in fact, there's a book of the Bible. It's called Song of Songs. And it talks a lot about sex. And it's actually, if you think the Bible is like this stuffy book that is all about all these rules, you haven't read Song of Songs, you should go back and read it. You're going to find out that the Bible is actually a very graphic, beautiful painting of this subject. And it was actually, the Song of Songs was actually an ancient tradition to read it at Jewish weddings. It would be read over this couple aloud before everyone. And so it points us to God designing it for a purpose. Now, I want you to kind of get, I don't want you to just take my word for it that it's a little racy. I want you to get the idea of it's a little racy. So let's, let's look at a few passages in Song of Songs, just because you might get a little red-faced, and that's fun for me. So Song of, Song, Song of Songs chapter 1 says, Let him kiss me with kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away. Let us hurry. Let the king take me to his chambers. Not a lot left to the imagination there of what's going on, is there? And you think that's bad? Listen to this. It goes on in chapter 1. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. And then in chapter 4. Let the beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. This is, this is beautiful language, painting a beautiful picture, but is there anything embarrassing about this? Other than like maybe your parents in the room, or maybe you're like, oh my gosh, there's everybody else is in the room, and I'm a little uh, uncomfortable with this subject. We might be uncomfortable, but the Song of Songs is not. It was read at Jewish wedding ceremonies to celebrate the very design that God created us for in marriage. And we might think it's too graphic or almost embarrassing, but one, one scholar, New Testament scholar, Tremper Longman, actually points out that the English translations actually lose something in Song of Songs, that the Hebrew language is even more graphic than the English translation can possibly present. Now, I think one of the places that this hits the ground for most of us in its sacredness and its beauty is within marriage, there's this whole concept, too, of for most of us, coming into marriage, there's a whole body image thing that we have to do. Right? Because to be naked and unashamed is a whole different thing. And so as you're entering into marriage, there's this, there's this sake of going, what, what do I do with that? But this is where the gospel comes in to redeem us. Because in the gospel, what it says is, you never have to be ashamed. In the gospel, the whole point of Christ on the cross and you accepting him is that you get, according to John 1, to be a child of God, created in his favor, being convinced that you are loved and accepted, and guess what marriage is an institution of? You learning to be loved and accepted by God, made holy and right in his sight. And so when you enter into this place, when you're, if you feel some of those things, 
the root of it. I mean, sex is really this litmus test, isn't it? For am I really loved? Is it really safe here? Can I really be loved? And the gospel says you can be and you should be, and it is your job as a spouse to make sure that that is true and that is real. God's not embarrassed about the subject. And so for some of you who are married, and maybe you've never had these conversations before, maybe you feel like, you know, we don't really talk about the subject much. Let me suggest to you that there are ways to have conversations and some good resources. And let me give you two of them that are really good, um, great resources, no matter how long you've been married. One of them is called Celebration of Sex. It's a book about four married couples to help them have conversations about this, to be real about it. So it's a great book um, to help you have those conversations. So let me suggest, and there's another one that's called Intimacy Ignited. Both of them are about the full design and what God wants for you. Now, here's what I would suggest. If you're feeling this morning like, boy, that would really be great, <coughs> guys. Um, you, wives, just be okay with like, this is an okay conversation to have. And if you feel uncomfortable with, I don't know that I want to have this conversation with my, I don't know where this is going to lead, just let down your guard a little bit. Just reduce your guard a little bit to say, God created it, and it's okay for us to have a conversation about it. In God's presence, with the Holy Spirit still in the room, God in our conversation, wanting us to fully enjoy what it means to be sacredly united as one. Now, the reason that that conversation sometimes is difficult is the whole let me talk about this last thing that God created it for, and it's a part of the sexual design that's not casual because it's a gift of vulnerability. It's a gift of vulnerability. That's what sex is meant to be. That's why the conversations sometimes feel a little unsafe because it's meant to be a gift of vulnerability. It definitely makes us feel vulnerable. The moment that two adults come together in marriage and they consent to this, you are naked both physically you are naked emotionally. Like, marriage has this way. If you're going to have a good marriage, and you can, you've got to embrace the gift of vulnerability. Because intimacy, real intimacy, the kind of intimacy that you long for in your marriage, and if you're single and you're looking forward to marriage, the kind of intimacy you will want to have with your married partner someday will only happen through vulnerability. Because it's in vulnerability that we open ourselves a safe environment that takes two it's a two-way street of course like if you don't make it safe it's not safe and vulnerability is the place and sex is the litmus test to say do i feel vulnerable and often when it's difficult to come together in the bedroom it's a litmus test of what's going on elsewhere in your marriage it's a litmus test of are we able to be safe and vulnerable and not stomp over each other but actually listen to each other is it a safe place for each of us to express what we're feeling and actually be listened to, and not be proven, I'm going to prove to you my way is right, but rather say, I'm going to open up my heart to you, and I'm going to let you care for it gently, and listen to it, and help me through it. Because if you can't do that outside the bedroom, there's no way that can happen in the bedroom. And with a culture that says that, that sex is just this casual thing, it's like, it's like playing football with a slightly different goal. Like that, That's what our culture says, it's just this, thing that we do, you cannot be vulnerable in that kind of culture. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about this very thing. And the Apostle Paul, when he talked about relationships, often talked about them in the sense of being submissive to one each other, being vulnerable to one another. Like the whole concept of marriage, the Apostle Paul was submit to one another. Husbands, here's how you're going to submit to your wife. 
Wives, here's how you're going to submit to your husbands. That's how he handles it in Ephesians 5. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he handles the subject of sex in the very same way. This is what he says. Husbands should fulfill their marital duty to their wife, and likewise, the wife to their husband. Now, in that day and in that culture, husbands, the reason, the reason this starts with you should fulfill your marital duty with, to your wife, which typically, for most guys, is not the issue, right? Oh, sure, I want to do that, but in that day... Wives were procreation, were about procreation and children bearing, and they would also fulfill their needs elsewhere. So Paul's actually saying, stop it. Stop it. You cannot be vulnerable with your wife. You cannot submit to your wife unless it is exclusive, unless it is about that relationship. And likewise, wives, to your husband, submit to him to, to get everything that you need there. So he says, goes on to say, here's the, here's the deal. He says, wives, in this idea of submission, You do not have authority over your own body. You yield it to your husband. That's how you submit in this area of sex and sexuality. And husbands, in the same way, you don't have authority over your body. But you submit, you yield it over to your wife. You don't deprive each other except for mutual consent for a time. Why would you ever deprive each other? Paul says, because the whole point of this is to be vulnerable and intimate. So if you deprive each other, do it to be intimate with God. Devote yourself. If you do it, then do it for prayer. It's a way to say, you know what? We want to make sure that our first party, our first intimacy, our first vulnerability is with God because it's the only place that we'll ever really get satisfied. And he says, come together again after that's over because it is an important part of your relationship as husband and wife. Because in, in sex, we give up the deepest part of who we are. And we give it over to another to be handled with care, to be cherished. That act of vulnerability is a huge gift to another person. And that's why it's important to happen in marriage. That's why it's sacred in marriage. Now, this has important implications for those of you who are married, because typically within marriage, one person wants it more often than the other person. Right? That's, that's a typical problem in marriage that comes up. Now, the reason this has an important effect is this. If you can understand that this is a beautiful act of vulnerability, sometimes you might go, well, if I'm not passionate about this, I'm not ready to be part of it. Like, I'm waiting for the passion to be reignited. But if this is more than just a passionate moment, but a gift of vulnerability, you understand that you can't belittle then the act also of blessing the other. And says, listen, I know that you're on the move. I'm not on the move. But as an act of vulnerability, as an act of yielding myself over to you, I give you this as a gift of love. And that is not to be belittled. That is to be cherished. The thing is, you have to cherish the giver as well as the gift. And in doing so, you cherish each other. That's what this is all supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about us cherishing each other. Now, when it comes to your story, like I said, I don't know where your story's been or where it's going. I don't know what things, even this morning, you've been like, ah, oh, what concepts that you've thought, like, ah, I wish I knew this earlier. But I want you to know that God can redeem any of your stories. Starting today, God wants to redeem your stories in this area. And so I want you to hear from someone, of the, the gals, some of the gals of our church recently did a Bible study um, a sto- about the design of sexuality within marriage and what it's supposed to mean. And uh, Melissa Guzik was willing to actually share some of the things that 
became clear to her and different from her. And so we're going to just listen to her story for two minutes about some of the things that can make a difference in your marriage and in your life by paying attention to God's design for this. Let's listen. Passion and intimacy were obviously part of my life, being a mother of many children. Um, it wasn't until I started taking this passion pursuit study, What Kind of Love Are You Making Through Mosaic, that I realized exactly how much I struggled with passion and intimacy in my life. And allowing my past that I know had been forgiven many, many times over and over, um, but still feeling maybe some regret, some shame, some guilt, um, a lot, a lot of hurt that God still wanted to heal. And he wanted me to hear how heavily he talks to us about intimacy in the Bible. This study came with so many great lessons, things that made me sit with God and just let him speak truth into me. It also made me realize that I am a gift and I am a gift to my husband, a gift that should never be ashamed, a gift that should always be willing to be vulnerable and that there is there's a stronger force, Satan, that wants his lies to seem like truth, to hold me back because he doesn't want, Satan doesn't want me to experience freedom. But God says, it's okay, Melissa. It's okay to be passionate. And it's okay to experience intimacy. I designed it. So through this study, I've had so much healing that I can't tell you how great it feels to be free. <laughs> to be able to have conversations with my husband that I never thought I could speak those types of words. That I could share wholly and wholeheartedly realizing that this passion and this intimacy that we talk about, I don't need to put it up on the shelf for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years until I am done raising teenagers and toddlers. But I can, I can pursue what God's design is. And I can have a marriage that is full of passion and intimacy and deep, deep yada knowing. A deep yada knowing that my Heavenly Father has gifted and that I am a gift. So I encourage everybody, encourage women to look at, look to God for the answers. Let Him bring healing and hope and passion to you and to make passion and intimacy a priority. And Melissa and I was talking about her talking about this, just telling you about just the healing that she's experienced. So I know that this conversation this morning, you may, you may have been feel like, oh, this is really pertinent because I'm married. You may have felt like I'm not married. It gives me an idea of it. Or, or I, I, this causes me pain in some way because of my past or because of my, what I see my future to be or not be. I know that this conversation can trigger some pain or some regret. You know, lots of I wish I had heard this earlier. Lots of, we should tell about that. Lots of, just wish I could rewrite my story. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. What's the story 
that your sex life is telling? What's the story of your perspective on sex and sexuality? Same. Because God created it. And if you're married, what's the story of that in your marriage? Is it one of oneness and sacredness? Or do you still feel a little embarrassed talking about it? Is there still healing that needs to happen there? And you haven't really even talked much about it with your spouse. You've never really sought that healing. God wants to do something more in your relationship. He wants to write a new story. And that's probably going to happen with the gift of your spouse. It's not sex should never be used in your marriage as a weapon or a way to get leverage or power. It's a way to submit to one another. And if you're single this morning, you know, the, when it comes to story, you get to decide the kind of story that you want to write. You get to decide that, and I strongly suggest that you determine the story that you want to write ahead of time. Everybody's got a story, and sometimes we don't like our story, so we change our story. That happens all the time when I counsel married couples. They change their story because they don't like their story. So they just change it. But there are stories that you're writing. One of them could be, you know, I lost my virginity at prom or on, on spring break, and that's just the way it was, and that was the wild days of my life. But another story could be different. could be, you know, I, I sat one day in church, and this pastor who talked a little too long and rounded off his words and had some crazy jokes. Like, he had all that stuff going on, but I was deeply moved. That day, I understood sex as something different, and I chose to write a new story. That day, from that day forward, I chose that when I came to meet my future you, whoever that future you is, I chose to save myself. I chose to honor and see my sexuality as sacred. I chose to decide what my story was to be. And from that day forward, I saved myself for you exclusively, emotionally, and physically, and in every other way. But if you're going to do that, you're going to have to pre-decide what your story is going to be. Because when it comes to moments of passion, those are not places to make decisions. You have to pre-decide, what is my story going to be? And here's the thing. I know that in our culture, that might be considered a, this great sacrifice given what the sex talk of our culture has. But here's the thing. Now listen. Giving up something now to gain something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. It's an investment into your future. So surround yourself with those ideas. Begin to make those decisions. And for some of you this morning, there might be some bad memories. This whole conversation may have brought up some bad memories from you where maybe you, maybe you made decisions in your past that you're just not proud of, and this morning you come and you go, I want a new story. I don't even want to be reminded of those. And this morning you need God to remind you of forgiveness and healing and its power to redeem. Or maybe this morning that was violated for you. You didn't even have a choice in the matter and you still feel twinges of those memories this morning, and it causes pain for you, and God wants you to know, and you need to be reminded that God is the great healer, that he wants to bring healing for you even today. God wants to give you that gift and remind you of a new story that he wants to write. So wherever you are in your marriage, your singleness, or just sitting this morning with some bad memories and some pain, God wants to change that this morning. So I want to give you an opportunity. I want to pray over you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. Let me pray this morning. Lord Jesus, will you help us 
to surrender our sexuality fully to you. To not only see it as embarrassing or something that you don't want to talk to us about, but to see it as something you created for, as sacred, to have oneness. May you help every married couple here to go on a journey of giving each other that gift and being connected in marriage. You help every single person to predetermine their story this morning and to say, I want the very best for that long relationship, and I'm willing to make that investment, Lord. And will you help bring us healing and surrender in this area today? Give us courage to allow you to write a new story in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name.